Our scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28. If you'd like to turn there and follow along. Exodus chapter 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belts fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever." In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, 
what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, where he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Last week, uh, we covered all of the plagues, uh, chapters 7 to 11, or half of 7 through 11, and uh, 11, the final plague, was threatened. And we covered uh, not simply a lot of verses or chapters last week, but there was, there was so many days of events uh, that took place. The, the first nine plagues were enacted. Uh, but here, in the passage that was just read, nothing happens. We only have uh, the Passover discussed in incredible detail. And so, as the, the narrator is moving us through this historical record, he's saying, this is so important, we've got to slow down. And so, we do in these 28 verses. Uh, today, these Verses are going to describe for us the Passover event in detail before it happens, but it highlights God's promises to His people, as it does to us today. Uh, Firstly, we're going to look at the fact that God gives us promises. Secondly, the fact that God helps us remember His promises. And then thirdly, the fact that God wants us to live His promises. So firstly, God gives us His people promises. We see that um, really in the first 13 verses and verses 21 through 23. The promise is that He will provide a substitute. The first several verses give us uh, incredible detail about the Lamb that is supposed to be used as a substitute, which tells us this is obviously, again, very important, very significant, this level of detail. This event is going to reorient their actual calendar annually, according to verse 2. My Old Testament professor says this event probably took place in March or in April in our modern day calendar. Verses 3 through 4 mention to get only what is needed per family, and verse 10 mentions not to leave any of it, uh, burn it the next morning if there's any left over, saying this meal is very special, it's very particular, these elements are very important, hand-picked and selected, not to be used for any other purpose, but for this Passover meal. Verse 5 mentions that the lamb should be without blemish. Now, this characterization of a a sacrificial animal is a categoric of most sacrifices in the Old Testament that it would be without blemish. Uh, why? Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, explains that the priests at that point in Israelite history despised God's name 
by polluting his altar with blind animals, so much so that the governor, the civil magistrate, would probably not have even accepted it. Why is that? Because the value of the animal that we use in the sacrifice shows how much we value the recipient, which is God. The priests are never supposed to use a a maimed animal as if we really don't care about worship. We really don't care about God. We don't have to prepare ourselves or our hearts. We don't have to think about him very highly. It's supposed to be a choice animal without blemish because that reflects the perfection of God and how we behold him. Uh, This is also why the lamb should be a year old. My professor also says that this would yield maximum weight for minimum investment. That this is a worthy sacrifice. This is costly. This is a significant animal. If kept, it would be worth even more but it needs to be offered. Finally, the idea of the substitute is brought to the foreground in verse 6, that the lamb must die. The point isn't simply to provide sustenance for that evening's meal. The point is that for it to be a substitute for something else or someone else, it has to pay. It has to die. But secondly, not only is this promise given that God will provide a substitute for his people, but he's actually going to accept this substitute. Uh, Verses 7 to 13, the key to God's acceptance of the lamb is in the blood and the actual death. I can cover some of the other details of the meal in a moment, but Genesis 9 uh, verse 4, it gives a prohibition against eating blood. Uh, That's the substance of the verses in Leviticus 17, verses 10 to 16, because it says the life is in the blood. The life is supposed to be given as a sacrifice. The highlight of this meal, in a sense, is the blood. It says to the Israelites, put some of the blood on the two doorposts and on the lintel. Uh, We see the name of this meal at the end of verse 11, uh, connecting to God's actions in verses 12 to 13, and that God will pass over the Israelite houses. Why? He's going to see the blood. A substitute has already been given in this house by God's own command. So therefore, no more death is needed. A death has already occurred. There is reference to the fact that this is a sign for them. But we look at signs every day. What does a sign do? It points to something else. This is a meal of faith. The meal hasn't even occurred yet. But God is saying to the Israelites, this whole meal, particularly the lamb and its blood, is going to be a picture for you that that's going to pay for you. You won't have to die. The blood will cover you. And so therefore, as the Israelites are receiving this news from 
uh, Aaron and Moses, they're, they're taking them and God at his word all by faith. Really? This is going to be it? This is the substitute? This is actually going to work? We've seen the other nine plagues. They're real. You're telling us to take your word for it. That God himself is going to come in to the community and there will be death. But not for those who follow this. God says yes. He is going to accept this as a substitute because of the blood. But finally, the promise here is given that he will protect us from his wrath because of this substitute. Now, this is different from the other plagues, right? In the other plagues, it was the Israelites as the victim. The perpetrators were the Egyptians and they were being punished. The tenth plague is different. What God is saying is that he's ultimately the victim of everyone's sin, including the sinful Israelites. They're also sinful, not simply the Egyptians. They need protecting, not from Pharaoh, but from a holy God. Romans 3 makes this point. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We won't be looking for a lot of evidence soon as to why we would, we would consider the Israelites sinners. Because in chapters 15 to 17, they hardly get across the Red Sea before they look at Moses and say, you led us into the wilderness. We don't have any water or food. Take us back to slavery. They grumble and grumble and grumble consistently against God, against Moses. And we have the golden calf incident when they have arrived at Mount Sinai. All people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including everyone in this very room, including all of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Everyone needs protection from the wrath of a holy God and must have a perfect substitute that God himself will provide. And I won't wait to the end to beg the question of what on earth that is. Isaiah 11.5 will prophesy, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Isaiah 53.6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But Isaiah 53.9 will say, He had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Prophesying of the Messiah to say, He will be without blemish. He will be without sin. There will be a better substitute who is indeed without blemish, can pay for the sins of God's own people. Of course, when Jesus himself arrives, I've already mentioned it in John 1, John will say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Holy Week takes place during the week of Passover, the month of March or April. The Synoptic Gospels and Paul will record Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper saying, the wine is a sign as the new covenant in my blood. 
First Peter 1.19 will say, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. First Peter 2 will say similar things. The entire book of Hebrews is about this. Hebrews 9, uh, there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Hebrews 10, animals can't take away sin. Hebrews 10.12, Christ is the single sacrifice for all sin. Well, what's happening in the Passover? What's happening in the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament? We're writing checks that will not do anything until Jesus himself cashes them on the cross. No sin is forgiven in Exodus chapter 12. But that's coming. And because we know that that's coming... We can take this passage very, very seriously to say, God keeps his promises. All these promises of a substitute, he is going to keep. Later, next week, we're going to see the 10th plague is enacted and the Israelites indeed are spared. Not because they're better. Because God provided a sacrifice just like he did in Genesis 22, when God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son Isaac. In the end, there's an angel that holds him back from doing that. And what happens? God provides a goat in the thicket as a sacrifice for the firstborn. And here, he does it again. But brothers and sisters, he's done it for us, especially through his own Son, who is pictured for us in this meal. He has kept all of his promises to you to give you a substitute, to accept that perfect substitute on your behalf. Thanks be to God. But the problem is that we're forgetful. And we often have amnesia spiritually. When suffering enters, when doubt creeps in, when there is difficulty, we, we doubt his love for us, we, we forget his promises, even though we may be here every week. So secondly, God helps us remember his promises. That's verses 14 to 20, and then I'll also skip down to verses 24 and 20, through 27. But firstly... God helps us remember His promises as we remember as redeemed pilgrims. Uh, there is something highlighted in verses 14 to 20 with reference to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is separate from the Passover. Again, this is very significant because there's so much detail included in these verses, what to do and what not to do. But verse 17 says they have to do this to remember on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. And this is to be done for generations. They need to remember God's redeeming act for them. Why unleavened bread? There were hints of this above in verses 8 and 11 when there was unleavened bread and bitter herbs used in the Passover meal. The bitter herbs are supposed to remind generations later of the Israelites, hey, slavery and oppression is bitter. And God brought us out of it. As he's going to bring us out of all suffering one day. And you know that meal? 
it was kind of like Old Testament drive through because it said, hey, have your staff, have your shoes on, because after the 10th plague occurs and you've had this Passover meal, you're gonna, he's going to tell you to get out, finally. And you're going to have to leave. So this meal is a meal of haste. It's a reminder not only of the redemption that the Israelites have received, but the fact that they're kicked out. They're pilgrims. They don't have a home. God Himself is their home. There's not even time to put leaven in the bread. The the, the bread won't rise before they have to run. So don't have leaven in the bread because it's a reminder again. You are redeemed, but you are pilgrims. You had to leave in haste because I brought you out. I've redeemed you. This is again recorded in Deuteronomy 16, verse 3. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. This is the salvific event in the Old Testament. So much detail is given in the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that they are to keep for generations. Not change out the elements or change what they're doing because it's all purposeful and meaningful. But it all points back to God and His work of redemption for sinners. That's why there's an empty cross in the sanctuary. It's it's a better sign than the Passover or unleavened bread of God's seriousness over sin, but the redemption of His people, but the fact that we are still pilgrims. We may not feel that way in this country or in this state or in this town, depending on how long we've been here, but spiritually, we're pilgrims. God Himself is our home and He will bring us back to Himself. But He wants us to remember His promises. How? How are we going to do that? Secondly, we have remembrance in covenant families. God is pro-family. The family was His idea. Where do we see that? Towards the end of the section that Sean read, you will see in verses 24 to 27 more uh, instructions for Moses to give to the people. Observe the, this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. When you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as He has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when He struck the Egyptians, but spared or passed over our houses. We have a question and we have an answer. Welcome to the first catechism in Exodus. Where are children to be led to the Lord? Not outside of the tabernacle or temple worship of the Old Testament, but within the household, within the family. There is the assumption that children are present at this meal. Obviously, they're living in these houses. There is blood on the door, and the children are going to go, Dad, why on earth would you put blood on a door? What on earth does this mean? 
Because kids have questions. Sometimes they have the best questions. If you've ever taught children Sunday school or youth group, my goodness. It's, it's sometimes worse than adult Sunday school with all the questions because they're just firing off and it's wonderful. But he says, hey, mom and dad, you better have an answer. You're the one who needs to give it to them. Because we're going to do discipleship through covenant families. Through catechism. Through question and answer. That's not simply a New Testament thing. That's rooted in the Passover meal itself. This is reiterated in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Joshua chapter 5 as well. The significance, the significant role of moms and dads in covenant homes. That has been pounded since this church has been planted by the session that will continue to be reinforced. That children's ministry is not parental replacement ministry, nor is youth ministry. It is partnership with the family, not to say you do everything in the family and the church corporate doesn't matter. That's not at all what is said here. But the ministry of the parents is crucial in this meal and in discipleship in general. But you might say, well, if all the kids are there and there's a substitute as a sacrifice because the firstborn of the Egyptian households are about to die, why is there blood on the door if it's just a substitute for the firstborn of the Israelites? What's, what's happening? Exodus 4.22 told us all of Israel was God's firstborn. Alec Matir will say, so when the lamb died, It was a substitute for the Lord's firstborn, the people whom he had chosen and purposed to redeem. It's a substitute for all in the household who are sinners, and all of them are. This Passover meal is um, celebrated in major times in the Old Testament, Numbers 9, Joshua 5, when, when they actually get into the land of Cana, they celebrate Passover. We saw that in the series in Joshua. 2 Chronicles 30, reunification of the kingdoms, the Passover. 2 Kings 23, after spiritual reformation, the Passover. Ezra 9, when, Ezra 6, I'm sorry, when they return to the land from exile, they celebrate the Passover. There is continuity between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. But they are not celebrating the Lord's Supper in the book of Exodus. Because there is discontinuity. There, why were all the kids partaking of the Passover and we don't have all children immediately partake of the Lord's Supper? There is discontinuity. This is a meal that was done in a particular context. It is fulfilled in many ways in the Passover meal, but it is not the same Next week, we have a further description that you don't take the Passover unless there's circumcised males in the house. There was a right of entrance into the people of Israel before this meal was partaken, even of immigrants, if they want to take it. Which is why we say there's continuity between circumcision and baptism. And there's continuity between the Passover, and the Lord's Supper, even though they're not the same thing. Obviously, the Apostle Paul will say baptism is better. It's water, no cutting, 
girls are involved. It's a new and better covenant. But there is this idea that we are redeemed pilgrims put in covenant families for the purpose of remembering God's salvation on our behalf. That as we come weekly to the Lord's table, we follow along with 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that we would examine ourselves before partaking of the elements, which means we have non-communing members of our church, but the children will ask. They will ask firstly of mom and dad. Then they will ask us, what's going on? And we will explain the ultimate redemption, the body and the blood of Jesus. Understanding that as the ultimate way of salvation grants you access to the table because you know who you're meeting with. Spiritually, the second person of the Trinity, your Redeemer, the perfect substitute. But there is this little verse at the very end of this passage. All of these commands, all of this detail, verse 28 will show us that God wants us to live his promises, wants us to obey what he says. Verse 28, then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. They they did it. They did what they were told. They obeyed. We're given all these details. And there's this pattern that we're going to see in the rest of the book of Exodus. There's the Exodus event of salvation. But then what comes after that? The law. The, the need to further obey in intimate detail the one who has redeemed us. We don't ever get those backwards. If you grew up in a legalist family or a legalistic church, there's a constant rewiring that has to happen where you say, no, I, I have to obey so he loves me. No, we obey because he loves us. Not in licentious living, taking, taking grace for granted but this is actually in the preamble of the Ten Commandments. Shorter Catechism 43 will ask us what the preamble of the Ten Commandments is. The preamble is, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He reminds the people of who he is and who they are, what he's already done for them. Then he'll give them the commandments. Catechism 44 Ask us what this teaches us in the preamble. The answer is because God is the Lord and our God and Redeemer, therefore we are bound to keep all his commandments. Out of duty, but it's also out of delight. I want to do what he says. Look what he's done for me. All of the Israelites for generations should say, why would I want to obey his commandments to me? Why would I not? After the Exodus, look what he's done. How much more so for us? Why would I want to obey his commandments in the marriage, in the family, with my use of my money and my body and my stuff? Look what he's done for us in the sun. Why would I not want to obey and give him all things as he's given me things to steward? But the idea of this is something that Paul picks up on uh, that's not here. In the leaven of 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 to 8, we'll say, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, 
as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What Paul is doing there, as Jesus does in the Gospels with the idea of leaven, is saying, look what has been done for you in your salvation, in your redemption. That's the motivation for obedience. Not fear, not condemnation, not hell, but love itself. Look at the love that you have received. Look at the salvation and the redemption you have been given. Therefore, have your life changed as they partake of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. As they will partake of the Passover. It is not an empty ceremony. It never was that. Neither is our worship service. It's to captivate your heart with the gospel. That you would change. That you would grow in salvation and sanctification. Not to earn anything. You never will. But to rejoice and what he's already done for you. Second Peter 1.9 will say, we've probably slipped in sanctification because we have forgotten that we were cleansed from our former sins. We're not only supposed to remember our salvation, we're supposed to live it in obedience. Isaiah 31 will say, Woe to those who go down to Egypt, for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Woe to us if we look for help today with our problems in men, in money, and in stuff, but not look to the Lord. And the motivation is given later Again in Isaiah 31, where it says, Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will spare or pass over and rescue it. That's who's worthy of our obedience. He has fulfilled all of his promises. We are called to remember it and live it. Because there will be a day like our forefathers and mothers in the faith. We're going to enter into worship. And this is what's going to be said in worship. According to Revelation chapter 5. This is the lamb that was slain. He was slain for us. Go and obey him. Knowing that he has kept and will keep all of his promises to his people. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for this sign of the Passover, which was given to the Israelites. Sinners who needed a substitute. This makes sense because we see ourselves as sinners who need a substitute. But we rejoice that you, Jesus, are the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. We behold the Lamb. You are the true Sacrifice. 
on our behalf. Help us to know your promises, to remember them, especially in covenant families. But then, Christ, may we live out your promises in obedience until we see you again face to face. In your name we pray. Amen.